The Lord is good and his mercy does endure forever. He's really good and goodness and mercy really should and can and ought to be following you. Goodness and mercy should follow you all the days of your life. It's a promise from God. It does take you walking in the right path. It does take you walking where goodness and mercy can follow you. Like there's some pathways, goodness and mercy are like, I ain't going over there. Goodness and mercy though is a promise from God that you can have all the days of your life. All the days of your life. Okay, forget the past. All the next days of your life, goodness and mercy. Because some Christians look back and they're like, well, I haven't been seeing too much goodness and mercy. Well, if you look a little deeper, you'll see where God's goodness and mercy was for you. But what it means is you might need to make some alterations in the pathway that's ahead of you. So the goodness and mercy will follow you. You ought to be walking around like Elaine. Elaine believed it so strongly she named her dogs goodness and mercy. So as she walks around, goodness and mercy following her all the days of her life. Praise the Lord. Open your Bible to the book of Psalms. We'll read a couple scriptures, a couple reminders. Last week we started something we need to continue. Uh, the technical word would be called theodicy, but nobody really cares about that. The, 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 real, the real definition or the real uh, a topic is trying to vindicate God and his goodness in the face of suffering and evil in the world. If God is really so good and loving, then why does all the bad stuff still happen? And there's Bible reasons for it. None of which are because God wanted it to happen. And so there's got to be other reasons so that we can have a good loving God, even though there's still suffering and not mix it all up to where people are confused about God. But you can't get the answer without the Bible. You can't get the answer without right interpretation of the Bible. You can't get right lasting information or knowledge or answers without answering all the tough questions. Because what will happen is you'll start getting persuaded that God's really good and loves you and has a good plan. And then all of a sudden you'll read another scripture. It's like, wait a second, I don't know if that's true all the time or not. Well, you got an answer for that. You need an answer for that. And it's in the Bible but you have to interpret the Bible correctly with New Testament glasses. That's what these are. That's why I wear these. No, I'm just kidding. I wear these so that I can see your face a little bit clearer. I can actually read without them, no problem. But I like to see your face just a little bit better. You're like, how come the preachers are wearing glasses? Because it helps me see you a little bit better. I just told you. Psalm 100, turn there. Let's just get a glimpse of, of God's character. You know, all the scripture points us to the Lord, gives us truth. And uh, it also helps us understand the one we love. It also helps us get to know our heavenly father. And so you don't get to know your heavenly father by looking at the mountains out there. You don't get to go to a stream or a beach or something, especially on Sunday morning and say, I'm getting close to God out here. No, you're not. You're getting close to his creation. And so you are not allowed to worship the creation or the creature more than the creator. That's a no-no. And so you have to recognize that the only way to get closer to God and to know God is to go find out what he said about himself in the Bible. So you need the Bible if you're going to know God. You need the Bible if you're going to be close to God. He's in you. If you're saved, he's inside there. But for your comprehension or your consciousness to grasp it, you're going to have to learn Psalm 100, verse 5, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. How long does his mercy endure? Forever. forever. Could you ever run out of God's mercy? How many of you need God's mercy? You need his mercy for everything in your life that's not perfect. You need mercy when you need some finances. You need mercy from God when you need forgiveness. You need mercy from God when you need to be healed. You need mercy from God to get through this life. 
the good news is his mercy never runs out. You can have it all the time. How much mercy does he give? As much as you need. But I've been needing so much mercy. He has more. It's part of the goodness of God. You need to understand this, that there's always more mercy from God. Verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say, come on, let the redeemed, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So say so. So. Let the redeemed of the Lord say that they're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord go ahead and just say it out loud. I am redeemed. I have been purchased. I have been saved. I have been bought. I have been put in the grocery bag. And I am forever God's. I'm redeemed. And in that redemption, there is some mighty, mighty promises of God that deliver us from this present evil that help us escape this present suffering, that give us power and strength and joy in the middle of the tribulation of this world. Jesus said, be of good cheer. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. So there's some cheer in this redemption. He said, I have overcome the world. He overcame all of the troubles you can too. Jesus didn't have to die accidentally, neither do you. Jesus didn't have to have a sickness or a disease, neither do you. Jesus never had to go without a meal, neither do you. The only meals he skipped were on on purpose, to fast and pray. All of us can have all the blessing of God, all the time, just like Jesus. We're told and commanded to overcome this world. You have to overcome the devil, sin, and the world just like Jesus did. Hallelujah. Okay, go to Psalm 145. We'll remind from last week. Psalm 145. Verse eight, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Well, let me just read it a little more animated. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, which is mercy. Mercy and compassion interchangeable in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mercy and compassion, same thing. So when the people call, called for Jesus, have mercy on us, that they're calling for compassion. The compassion of God delivers you from your trouble. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger and great in mercy. He's slow to anger. You ever felt like God was mad at you? Maybe next year he will be, but it's real slow. And then next year it'll be like, is he mad? Well, maybe the next year. He just puts it off. He just puts off being angry at you. I know that what the devil says and what your own brain says is that God certainly must be mad at me by now. He's slower to anger than that. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The Lord is good to some. The Lord is good to some of the best Christians. The Lord is good to the preachers. The Lord is good to this half of the congregation. The Lord is good to our church only. No, the Lord is good to all. You need to go ahead and put yourself in the all that he's good to you. So, so go ahead and say that out loud. Say, God is good to me. Come on, you got to build that in your heart that God's good to you because you're part of the all. He's good to all. He's that good. And this almost goes against Christianese. It goes against the, the Christian who, who really, really, we, we want bad people to get bad and we want good people to get good, but too bad, the Lord is good to all. It almost makes the Christian mad. To see somebody who's not doing right, not really walking with God very closely, get good things. It's like, man, they they really need to be punished. It's the truth. I've I've seen that in Christians. uh, And it's like, you know, you just displayed something that I really don't want to see again. So go fix yourself before you come. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And the way we like to say it is, if whatever happened to you didn't have tender mercy on it, it wasn't God. 
If it didn't look like it was wrapped up from heaven as a wonderful gift of love and blessing, it wasn't from God. Praise the Lord. You know, in James, it talks about how can uh, one fountain give sweet water and bitter water? It can't, right? You, you dig a well, it's giving you one type of water. Not sweet one day and bitter the next day. It's just one type of water. God's the same way. Hallelujah. A good tree can't give you good fruit and bad fruit. It's just a good tree or not. Hallelujah. God's not moody. You can't think of God as like yourself. That's why people distrust God sometimes. They, did, they know themselves, so they, they distrust themselves. Same thing like you, you don't really trust your words. And it's hard to trust God's word if you can't trust your own word. So you need to get your own word right so you can start trusting God's word. So if you're kind of a liar, that's why you don't trust God's promises much. But if you'll start honoring your word 100%, you'll start believing God's word 100%. That's why you put on the belt of truth and get truthful in life. Put on the belt of truth. First piece of the armor mentioned is the belt of truth. So you can start getting truthful. Once you get full of truth, man, you'll love the promises and believe the promises and you'll get miracles a lot quicker. If you'll quit fibbing. Lying to yourself, lying. Okay, I won't go there. All right. So his tender mercies are over all his works. You know, the, the thing we quote all the time here, that when Jesus was born... God, really things changed the moment Jesus was born because the answer for the world had arrived. As soon as the answer for sin and justice and judgment, as soon as the answer arrived in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, the angels knew it and they said, glory to God in the highest. Remember what they sang? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It was the moment that goodwill replaced all of God having to punish sin with his wrath so quickly. Goodwill now, you can expect goodwill from God. Hallelujah. Uh, Ephesians 2 talks about that now we're to, to begin experiencing the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This whole life, this whole existence now is so that you can experience his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Glory. Hallelujah. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, an expected end. God's thinking good thoughts toward you. Amen. He's not schizophrenic. The way some people talk, he's like Jekyll and Hyde. You never know what you're going to get. Like, he's in a good mood today. Like, I, you know, some days he gives good things. Some days he doesn't give good things. You know, it kind of depends on what he's thinking, what his mood is. No, no, he's not like that. Now, your family might like be, be like that. Your, your parents might have been that way where you never know what mood mom's going to be in when you come home. You never know what dad's going to say or do when he gets home. Well, that's, that's the wrong way to parent. Parents need to be stable. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you, parents need to be stable in this life so that you can mimic God and give some trust factor to your kids. Parents cannot be flaky, off the wall, inconsistent, Jekyll and Hyde, never know what you're going to get. No, that's dangerous for kids. That harms children. And it harms Christians who think God's like that. You got to know that God's the same every day. He's thinking good thoughts about you every day. He's not doing bad to you one day, good to you the next, bad to you, good to you, bad to you. It'll mess you up if you think that way. Never know what you're going to get when you pray. No, that's why he said in the Bible, all my promises are yes and amen. I'm a, every time you ask for one of his promises, his answer is yes. Not no and yes. I mean, the Holy Spirit explained this. It's not yes and no. It's only yes. And this is where if you read the Bible, you won't come up with false doctrine like, well, you know, we can pray anything we want, but sometimes he'll say yes and sometimes he'll say no. Sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes the answer is no. And they say it like that so that you think that it's theological. It's not, it's not <laughs> theological. Sometimes he says yes and some, God, will you please heal me? Sometimes he says yes and then sometimes he says no. No, 
That's not how it works. Not for his promises, not for covenant promises, not for natural, not for things that you need every day for life, like to be alive, to be healed, to have some food on the table, money in the bank, uh, joy, salvation. When you ask for salvation, he'll never say no. When you ask for healing, he'll never say no. When you ask for money on the table, he'll never say no. When you ask for joy, he'll never say no. When you ask for peace, he'll never say no. When you ask to be delivered, he'll never say no. When you ask him for direction, he'll never say no. When you ask him for anything good, he'll never say no. Those are things that are written in the Bible. He'll always lead you and guide you. He's promised us all these wonderful covenant promises. Now, if you ask him if you can be, you know, a star athlete, he might say no. That's not a covenant promise. That's a desire that you're asking. And it's okay to ask, but he might say no. Or if if you want to be the CEO of a company uh, tomorrow, he might say no. Or he might say wait. Or you might say, finish high school first <laughs> or grade school. Now we got all these entrepreneurs in high school thinking I'm going to be a millionaire. He might say no to what you're thinking in your mind, uh, but not covenant promises. They're always yes. Right. right? Or you come to church, it's like, God, I want to marry, I want to marry her. <laughs> he might say no. Oh God, please let her love me. Please let him love me. He might say no. You, you don't ever want to pray those type prayers. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. You just stay in your lane and God will make sure you know who it is and then he'll tell them who it is so you won't have any argument about it. You won't have to pray witchcraft on somebody else. Oh God, please let them love me. Don't do that. Oh, please let them say yes when I ask them for their phone. Don't do that. Don't do that. You be, be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't be throwing out your, your, your desires too quickly like that. Make sense? Praise the Lord. And then somebody, you know, some smart aleck comes up with, well, we don't always know what's good for us. You know, sometimes a bad thing might really be a good thing. Well, I mean, there might be a case where that's where you were thinking you needed a car and you really needed a pickup truck. So there might be somewhere you thought one thing, but the, but not when it comes to suffering. Like, you know, I asked God to heal me and he kept me sick. You know, that's a good thing because I got to go to the hospital and lead someone to Jesus. That's just ignorant, elementary, childish logic. If you feel like God's going to use you at the hospital, just go. Don't get sick. And then other dumb logic, like, you know, God, you know, God had, he's testing me. God, God put this on me because I was disobedient. He's testing me. Well, then why are you trying so hard to get well? If God put that on you for some reason that you're not sure of, just stay sick. Just keep on staying sick as long as you can to make sure you get the lesson driven into you. It's like, why would you work against God's will? If God wanted you sick, why would you work against him? That would be wrong. If you believe that, don't ask me to pray. I'm not going to pray against God. But every Christian that gets sick starts praying, oh God. Doesn't make any sense. It's just ignorant logic that people did without the Bible trying to come up with an answer of why things don't seem to be answered all the time. So it's not yes or no. Uh, There's actually three answers you might get from heaven. What are they? Yes, no, and silence. Somebody's read the book. There's three answers you might get. Yes, no, and then nothing. You might get a nothing. You might get a silence from heaven. You ever gotten silence from heaven? Why do you think they're silent sometimes from heaven instead of a yes? You're praying a promise and all you get silence. You don't get a confirmation. You're supposed to get a confirmation where God says, yep, I sure will. Why is it silent sometimes? We've been praying and it seems like nothing's happening. So I guess God said, no, no, he didn't say no. He wants to say yes. If you're talking about a covenant promise, he wants to say yes. He said he would say yes. But he can't say yes until you fully believe it. So he's holding back because he can't say no. It goes against his word. But he also can't say yes because you hadn't got there in faith yet. So he wants to say yes. He can't say no. So all he's relegated to is being silent, waiting. You'll see an account like that where the, the sour Phoenician, the Greek lady, came to Jesus. And Jesus answered her not a word. 
She came asking for deliverance for her daughter and he didn't say a word back. And then she talked again and then he said one little thing. Then she talked again and then he, then he gave her another thing. And so there's a conversation you need to have sometimes with Jesus. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into the miracle. But it's not because God said no. Well, we all prayed, nothing happened, they still died, God said no. That's not what happened. What happened was you didn't get close enough in faith. You didn't go all the way. So faith has a big part to play. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Well, we always do. Hallelujah. So the scripture in Isaiah 5, go ahead and, uh, well, I'll just quote it to you. Isaiah 5.20, you can put it up, says, woe, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Who, who flip-flop what is good. Don't ever fall for we don't know what's good for us. Sometimes the broken leg was good for you. No, broken leg is bad. We have covenant promise that says the righteous man's bones are never broken. And if you'll stand on that, you can avoid breaks. And if you had a break, you can reverse the break somehow. So don't, don't go flaky on God. Don't start flip-flopping what's good and what's not good. You have half a brain, don't you? How many have at least half a brain? You know what's good and what's bad. The whole world is flip-flopping what's good and bad. You got to be aware of this. You got to recognize that what the world is doing through media, through news, through internet, what the world is doing is calling good evil and evil good. All the people that stand for God are being called evil and exclusionary and bigots. And all the people that are doing evil are called good, applauded for coming out of their closet. I'm so proud of you. That's weird. That is really weird. I'm so glad that you're doing what you think is right. You better do what God thinks is right. But, but it's, a, it's a strange thing when people flip-flop and start calling very strange things good. I mean, some, some teenager has, has a Tourette's tick and they're proud of it. That's weird. Or people... Teenagers today are having to deal with anxiety and, and almost sometimes proud of their medication. You can hear it. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to recognize what's evil so you can resist it. No, no. All the stuff that kids are dealing with these days, it comes from the world and from the devil and they need to be warned against it so they can resist it. Amen. You got to know what temptation feels like. Kids need to be trained what temptation looks like and feels like. It comes through the eyes. It comes through the ears. It comes through the thought life. And, and whether it's temptation to get anxious, temptation to give up, temptation to be hopeless, temptation to sin, temptation to question my identity, those need to be trained in the kids so that they know what to resist. Amen. Evil must be resisted or it'll sneak right in. So evil is evil and good is good. And we have been given all the tools necessary, power from God, word from God, truth Everything to stand us upright and stiff arm the devil so he can't come in. When he wants to give you lying thoughts like there's no hope for your life, you just stiff arm and say, you shut up and get out of my room. All the deceptive seed that kids are hearing through media needs to, number one, be filtered by the parents. And at least recognize my children are dealing with lots of false seed out there, lying, evil seed that we need to train them as wrong so they can pluck it up and resist it and not listen. It's the only way. Amen. <clears throat> All right, praise the Lord. Okay, so there's more to say about that, but let's, uh, let's move on. So we talked a little bit last week about everything happens for a reason. Yes, but not for a divine reason. Some things don't even happen for a reason, just kind of accidental, coincidental. <clears throat> You know, it was raining outside. I walked out and, and rain hit my face. Uh, there must be a reason. Yeah, the reason is because you walked out in the rain. Don't, don't try to over-spiritualize everything that you go through in life, trying to pull God in on every single coincidence. 
Well, I went to the grocery store to get some butter and some almonds, and they, they were out. I guess God doesn't want me to eat butter and almonds. Don't ask me why I came up with that example. Just ridiculous logic that people come up with trying to be spiritual, trying to think, well, God has a reason, and, there's a, and, and I'm involved in this. He's involved in my life. Oh, I love him so much. Love him so much for sure, but don't make that the reason. Don't pull him in on everything that happens in your life. And especially if things are harmful, don't, don't ever think that it happened for a divine reason if it was harmful to your life or your children or your family. Amen. Wasn't from God. Praise the Lord. Then other people will come up with the open door, closed door routine, uh, thinking, well, you know, God, God had a reason for this door to be closed and a reason for this door to be open. So I went through the open door and I didn't go through the closed door because it looked like God had a reason. Everything happens for a reason. So that door closed. And, and so I guess... Look, sometimes doors close and you need to move on. Yes. But don't take the closed door as the will of God. The door could have closed because some sinful dummy didn't hear from God. The closed door could have happened for all sorts of reasons. And it might be the will of God to open that door by faith. Where you say, you know what? That's the door I'm supposed to go through. I know from God. And so in the name of Jesus, I command the door to open back up for me. Whatever that might be. You, you can't just bounce around with life thinking God's in control. It's really just life bouncing you around like a pinball in a pinball machine. Anybody know what those are? Remember uh, the children of Israel were leaving uh, Egypt and they were supposed to go to the promised land and they finally, after 40 years of blah, 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 finally got to the edge of the promised land and Joshua was going to take them in and they were going to go across the river and take Jericho. But Jericho was closed. God said, here's the promised land. It's time to go. Jericho, the Bible says Jericho was shut up, securely shut up. It was closed off because of the children of Israel. They didn't want any part of the children of Israel. But God wanted them to have Jericho anyway, even though the door was closed. See, so sometimes the door's closed. God needs you to take it anyway. And he's going to give you instruction what to do by faith so that you can open that door properly. And he had them march around six times. On the seventh time, they were going to shout. So they shouted. The walls came down. They took Jericho. So don't take closed doors as not the will of God. And don't take open doors as the will of God. Don't just throw it all in there. Everything happens for a reason. I guess I'll go through the door. Don't you dare go through the open door if it's wrong. Like you might have five people that want to marry you in church. They can't all five open doors be correct. And in the Bible, you see Joseph, you know, Joseph's life was marred with tragedy almost. It, it kind of on the surface, it looks like, wow, you know, what a tough life. In the end, he saved the nation of Israel. Uh, but if you think through it, Joseph is like, well, see, God planned and orchestrated all these terrible things to happen to Joseph so that he could save Israel. And I think there's another way. I, I think that just because that's what happened doesn't mean it was God's perfect will. Remember the story that, first of, all, uh, first of all, he told the vision to his family. He told the vision that he had, the dream that he had to his brother. Then he told the dream about his parents. Um, and the sheaves were going to bow down to his sheep. So his brothers were going to bow down to him. And then it, the moon and the stars bowed down to him. And, and so that meant his parents were going to bow down to him at some point. And so after he told these things to his family, his brothers threw him in the pit and then sold him. They were jealous anyway because of his pretty clothes. Sold him. And then, then he goes to his master's house. And so the sin of his brothers is what put him with the Ishmaelites and then with the Egyptians. Isn't that right? The sin of his brothers caused the problem. God certainly didn't tell the brothers to sin. So you got to wonder, yeah, God can turn things around for good, but doesn't mean that he caused people to sin to get you there. And then his employer, uh, you know, Potiphar's wife wanted him. She was an adulteress trying to have him. 
Her lust caused him to get thrown in prison. God certainly didn't cause that, did he? And then he was, so he was wrongfully imprisoned and God blessed him and the visions got him out of there, uh, interpreting the visions got him out of there. And so you see this progression, all of a sudden he's number two in the whole country. Uh, and people say, see, God had to take him through all those terrible things. No, no, God was with him through those terrible things. It says, in, in all that Joseph did, God made him to prosper. Everywhere he went, he prospered. The favor of God was on him everywhere he went. But don't assume that that was God's perfect plan. God could have got him to save Israel by being the number two in Egypt a whole nother way. Many times in the Old Testament, God would command a prophet to go to a nation and tell them things. God could have easily just skipped all the torment and had Joseph go straight to Pharaoh and tell him the vision about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Isn't that right? So let's not jump to conclusions. Uh, the truth is, it's possible Joseph really got in the flesh. He should never have told those visions. It's a good lesson that you don't always need to tell everything that you think you know about God's plan for your life. Never did it say God wanted him to share that dream the next morning, eating the cereal. Oh, I got a nice little vision, a dream that I had to share with you. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. So everything doesn't just happen for some divine reason. Go to Mark chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Everybody enjoying this? Anybody mad at me yet? Okay, good. You know, people want to, they want to believe that God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, to anybody he wants, regardless of anything else. And he can't. He can't just do anything, anytime to anybody. There are certain spiritual rules and laws that he's put in place. One of those is the law of faith. And you'll see it here. Uh, in the prior chapter, you'll see that Jesus was amazed that his disciples didn't believe. He said, oh, you, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. And then the lady with the issue of blood came to him and he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Because she believed so strongly, she pulled the power of God at him, out of him without him having to even know it. Humans can pull the power of God straight from heaven, right out of the Holy Spirit without any response from God. Just simply by your faith, you can pull power from his word and from his spirit. But then chapter six of Mark, verse one, verse two. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this that's given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They just despised him basically. Like, who is he to think he is, you know, do all these miracles? But Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And then verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Look at that. He marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went, went, about, the cities and, uh, went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Look at that, verse 5. He could, he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He could do some minor miracles, not major ones. It makes a point to, to let you know, he laid his hands on a few sick people, but he could do no mighty work there. I thought God could do anything he wanted anytime he wanted to anybody he wanted. I said, I thought God could do anything he wants anytime he wants to anybody in the room here. And it's not true. Because I'm telling you, he wants to do a lot more for you. He wants to do a lot more in here. He wants to do a lot more all the time for all of his kids. But he could do no mighty work there. Didn't say he wouldn't. Said he couldn't. You see that? It doesn't say he wouldn't do. It says he couldn't do. So there's something that God can't do. He can't override your unbelief. And then sometimes Christians, you know, they're like, well, you know, he, he knows I'm so frail. He ought to overcome my unbelief. He won't. No matter how sorrowful you get about it, no how much you beg God, he's not going to override your unbelief. 
So get yourself in the faith. Pull your pants up. Get yourself in the, in the faith. You can, you can get yourself in the faith in the same britches that got you into doubt and unbelief. Sometimes people live with a problem and they've been praying for so long and they're just driving themselves downward into unbelief. Those same pants you're wearing. Get some scripture, you can get right back into faith. It works that simply, even though it doesn't feel that easy. Because when you're in a predicament, it doesn't feel easy. It is, it just doesn't feel like it. It's simple, it's just not real easy. But just admit, Jesus himself couldn't do some mighty stuff because of people's unbelief. So when people say, oh, I wonder why God didn't, I wonder why God couldn't, I wonder why we all prayed and nothing happened, uh, this might be one of the reasons. There might be others, but this might be one of the reasons. Couldn't it be that maybe this was one of the reasons? Oh, no, 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 we believe in God. No, that's not what he's talking about. These people from his city believed in God. We're not talking about believing in God. We're talking about, do I believe Jesus will do the miracle for me now? So I'm just saying there's other answers, and they're not because God didn't want to do a miracle. Glory. We talked about punishing a little bit because some, sometimes that's the end. Well, God must be punishing somebody. And we, we talked about individual punishment, which the cross of Jesus Christ has exempted you from. There's a few exceptions we'll talk about later on, but for the, for the sincere Christian... Oh, no, the blood of Jesus speaks for you so you don't have to be punished Hallelujah. ever. Not even on judgment day are you punished. You never get a whipping that'll harm you. But then let's talk about mass punishment, because every time a hurricane hits the coastline of the USA, the judgment mongers come out of the woodwork. That's it. Mm-hmm. Where did it hit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It hit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. New Orleans. Bourbon Street. That's why it hit. They let that sin go. That voodoo stuff go on too long down on Bourbon Street. God's fed up with that. They wag that finger. Hurricane Katrina hits over there when 05. And I, I saw a picture of a billboard and it said, not mother nature, but father God. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to preach on this 10 weeks in a row. That's an insult. That's an insult. Don't you blame that on God? Yeah, yeah. God's fed up. He's fed up with them Cajuns down there. You know, they're eating snakes and stuff. Just all kind of false logic. I just made that one up. I never heard of that one, but <laughs> all kind of false logic to explain away a storm. And then if you look a little further into it, Bourbon Street didn't even get flooded. Right. New Orleans got ruined. Bourbon Street high and dry. Churches flooded everywhere. Bourbon Street still there. God's not trying to punish sin. He's not trying to punish sin right now. You, under, you gotta understand this, he's not trying to punish sin right now. He's not sending storms and catastrophes to, to destroy where, where sin has happened, right? And if he, if, if he was, then how come, how come Sin City is still flashing lights? How come Las Vegas is still in existence? Shouldn't that like be the first place to start, God? Couldn't you, couldn't you start there instead of Houston? I mean, anybody with half a brain has to ask these type questions. It's like, well, no, he can't, he can't do Las Vegas because he can't get the storm that far inland. So he can only, he can only judge coastline cities. As if, as if Oklahoma trailer parks are the worst centers of the whole United States. See, this is just false logic and it doesn't hold water with God. The then the storm hits the, the, the Houston and people are like, yeah, it's because them oil companies are a little bit too greedy, a little bit too greedy. God's going to punish them oil companies a little bit too greedy. <laughs> then another person stands up. Nope, nope, nope. It's because it's because that we had, we elected, we elected that gay mayor for a number of years, that gay mayor. 
God had to send the storm to, to, to harm Texas. Well, it harmed all of Texas while there was a, a Christian governor. Your logic's not going to hold water. Somebody blamed COVID on because of the, the homosexual and abortion agenda. God's not, God is not punishing cities, nations, countries, or the world right now. You got to know this. In the Old Testament, it looked like he did because he did. New Testament, he's not doing that. And the example we have from the Old Testament, and this is the reason why God's not doing it. This is your surefire reason why God's not punishing cities with storms or countries with tsunamis, no matter how voodoo-ridden they are. Haiti is not getting pummeled by God because of its sin. Haiti is getting pummeled by the ocean hurricane because they're in the pathway where the jet stream goes or whatever the, whatever the scientific logic is why it goes through the Caribbean every time. Don't blame that on God. They could move. They could have started their country somewhere else. Here's the reason. Here's how you and I, Mr. and Ms. Christian, can know for sure it's not God. Because God has a pattern in the Bible. He has a way about him. And he has never punished the righteous with the unrighteous. And he never will. When he flooded the earth for the sins of the world, he escaped his one righteous man and his family and put him on the boat before any catastrophe came. That was important to God going to save the righteous before any catastrophe. And then he put the children of Israel in the land of Goshen while he plagued Egypt. And then he, he had the Israelites put blood on the doorpost before the firstborn got killed. He always protects the righteous before mass judgment. Even when Korah sinned against, sinned against God and Moses, he said, everybody get away from the family of Korah, uh, and, and then the ground opened up and sucked them in. You don't, you don't kill the righteous with the unrighteous. You don't punish righteous people with the unrighteous. And in all these hurricanes, even Christians have died. And then one day, one day coming, the trumpet's going to sound. All the believers in Christ are going to disappear before mass tribulation hits the world. That's one of the most important arguments about the catching away of the saints, that we will escape tribulation in the world. You'll not even have to worry about the mark of the beast. That happens in the middle of the tribulation. So you need to understand God's way for his people. He would have even saved Sodom and Gomorrah if there was 10 righteous. Remember that conversation that Abraham had? Lord said, I'm going to destroy them for their sins. They've come up against me and it's evil and it's vexed my righteous man Lot. And Abraham said, wait, 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 wait. Don't do that because then, then the world's going to think that you're, you're mean, basically. Could, could you spare it for 50? If there was 50 righteous, could you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Said, oh, God said, okay. He said, oh, how about 45? Could you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for just 45 righteous? Okay. How about 40? Okay. How about 35? Okay. How about 25? Okay, how about 20? Okay, how about 15? How about 10? If there's 10 righteous, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, okay. Abraham should have gone just one more. Just down to one. If he had gone down to one, if there's one righteous, he stopped at 10. But for 10 righteous, God would have spared those two cities that we think were the worst of all. They were. He would have spared them anyway. For the sake of 10 righteous. There's a lot more than 10 righteous in America. There's more than 10 righteous in the city. There's more than 10 righteous pretty much every country in the world. And that's how you know God's not punishing them. He would have to escape all of those Christians. You following me? And I don't really care what the TV preachers are saying. I don't care what they say, they're wrong. If they're saying that God's doing something to punish America, they're wrong. And this is not just Christian stuff. This is the Muslims, the Muslim imams in Egypt blamed Hurricane Sandy 2012 on an anti-Islamic film. The Jewish rabbis blamed Hurricane Katrina on the U.S. support of the Israeli pullout of Gaza. You'll hear that on Christian television. They're wrong. 
God's not going to punish Christian. He's not going to punish America. He's not going to punish Christian community or country or city because of any policy around the world. If you're going to punish anybody, it might as well be Washington, D.C., but it's still there. Don't act like he's going to punish Houston, Texas because of something D.C. did. That's ridiculous. There's a conservative Christian pastor who runs this ministry called USA Prophecy. He said, God is systematically destroying America. And the reason he said God was so peeved was because of the homosexual agenda. Look, nobody is very happy with the homosexual agenda. No Christian's happy with that. We know how evil that is. But don't you start expecting God to punish America for it. Sinners are already condemned. Those pushing it are already condemned. You just stay safe from that. It's a lie. It's false. It's wrong. But don't think God's punishing. Well, then he must be approving it. No, he's, he's, he's waiting for judgment day so that we can save as many people as possible out of their darkness. And they blame school shootings. Well, God's allowing the school. You got to be, you get God out of that sentence. That's the devil. Darkness is covering the earth and America is not exempt from that. Sin and darkness is spreading and it will get, it'll get darker and worse as the days progress here. Don't marvel at that. Just get brighter. Certainly don't bring God in on it. And you don't get to have your judgment and punishment day until the last day. Some of you just need to store up all of your anger for the day that we come riding in on a white horse at the Valley of Jehoshaphat. People have got this either tied to sin or Israel, policy against Israel. Look, first of all, America is Israel's biggest ally, has always been, and will always be. So if God's going to punish a country for its treatment of Israel, don't you think Middle East countries ought to be, be number one? Why are those guys still existing if God's killing every nation that does anything that doesn't favor Israel? That's not what he's doing right now. He's going to do it. Joel 3 says he's, he's going to do it. He's going to Judge all the nations that have scattered his people and divided his land on judgment day, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, last day, all those nations are coming together for judgment. That's going to be a big courtroom. But that's not what he's doing today. People have been using that scripture to scare us into some policies. I don't have a problem with good policies that favor Israel. But don't try to scare me that God's going to punish America if we don't do right. Don't you dare do that. That is false teaching. I'm still full of joy in the Lord. I'm still full of joy in the Lord. I'm still full of joy in the Lord, but I just can't stand people blaming God on stuff like that, that the blood of Jesus paid for. And the truth is, look, if God was killing countries that messed with Israel in any way, uh, why is Germany on the map? Shouldn't it now be taken over by France or Spain or somebody else? Why is Germany? And a matter of fact, Germany's now rebuilt and is the number one gross domestic prov- uh, product in Europe. It's the, it's the strongest country, again, in Europe. Why would God allow that if he's really trying to punish people? Hallelujah. Uh, Luke chapter nine. Man, y'all have listened extremely slow today. We'll end with this. Luke chapter nine, verse 54. Luke nine, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? You know, people that know the God of the Old Testament, man, they're like, let's do it. Let's let's whip some folks here. Well, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to kill all the heathen people. Cross of Jesus changed everything. 
Jesus even said that. He said, hey, in the Old Testament, it was said you could love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. But the disciples, they weren't born again at this point, just walking with Jesus. They didn't understand the plan. They didn't know what born again meant. They didn't know everything was about to change at the cross. And so they're still Old Testament minded. So that's the way that they approach Jesus. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. That's why I feel that it's okay for me and you to rebuke people that say this garbage. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This is the, the only attitude for a Christian is this. Rather than feeling this sense of justice when evil gets killed. Look, there's a righteous sense that that's, that's got a part to play in it. But the cross of Jesus Christ must override your sense that the evil must be punished. Because his mercy is everlasting. He sent Jesus to save even the evilest person you know. That's not a word. The most evil person was actually paid for at the cross. And you and I have to work through this. Because we see the suffering of people at the hands of governments, of families, of spouses, of, of all sorts. There's corruption everywhere and it causes great suffering. If you travel around the world, you'll see what countries governments have done to people. And it's, it's detestable. And it makes you want to just go bomb their courthouse or whatever their, con whatever their government built. Just get rid of them. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. So the feeling is there. I get that. But don't bring God in on it. Hallelujah. Uh, I think the real problem is that the punishment-minded people are really mostly personally, feeling personally guilty for their sin, so they think everybody else needs to start getting punished too. So it's just a perpetuated false doctrine when you can't understand or don't understand the blood of Jesus has made us righteous and exempted us from punishment. Isn't that exciting? Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.